0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. It is the week between conference championship weekend and the super bowl but we got a lot to unpack we're going to get into the super bowl matchup itself some early thoughts some early leans coaching carousel has finally come to a stop as all uh coaching vacancies have been filled so we'll get into that a little bit and also it's senior bowl week so that means it's kind of the unofficial official start of draft season as well so a lot to get to on this episode start the show (laughs) Pokemon on in. This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McCackney. That is Mario Puig. Mario, the Super Bowl, it's set. The matchup has been set in stone. We've got the Kansas City Chiefs going back to the Super Bowl. Uh, Big New England Patriots, Tom Brady era vibes that that are just kind of sinking in all of a sudden. Not that uh, Mahomes is uh, less likely than Tom Brady and all that (laughs) stuff, but... Um, th- that same level of just sheer dominance w- within the conference, um, and you know, that the AFC, if you're to power act all, all like the best quarterbacks in the league, you know, so many of them reside in the AFC, and yet it, it seems to be Mahomes pretty much every year. He's the guy to uh to bet on no matter what, essentially, and uh, it's it's unbelievable the the way that um his his career has started. So, this is fourth. Super Bowl appearance in six seasons as the starter Uh, so that's pretty unbelievable you know has a chance to basically be batting 500 for Super Bowl championships um, after next Sunday on the other side we've got the San Francisco 49ers so so the narrative to me Mario kind of sets up very similar to last year in terms of how people want to pick this game do the Niners have the better team I would say so did the Eagles have the better team than the Chiefs last year I would say so but the other side has Patrick Mahomes, and that's a big issue for, for whoever uh, is facing the Chiefs. So as, as the week has gone on, the the uh, the spread has interestingly uh, kind of taken a move towards the 49ers, where it opened at one uh, on Sunday night, Monday morning, and it is steadily kind of inflated all the way up to now San Francisco minus two. So that, that might not sound like a massive movement but percentage wise and magnitude wise i mean that's that's not nothing uh, for it to move from 1 point to 2 points um we'll see if that continues to to trend in that direction but um it as it stands Mario, what what is your lean on this game
2: well i'd lean the chiefs but it's not because i have any like specific vision of how that would go it's just kind of deferring to the patching the mahomes variable which Sometimes it doesn't come through. You know, it didn't come through uh, at home against the Raiders on Christmas, but in the playoffs, it tends to. And I guess you could look at Mahomes last week against the Ravens and, and suspect something like he he uh not so much like used all the tricks in his bag, but sort of had an all-timer effort even by his own standards, like especially like the first Kelsey touchdown, like that was – that kind of play when it happens, you on the other side pretty much know you're not gonna win, or or at least like you know it's it's gonna be even more difficult than you thought, which you, you always suspect it's gonna be difficult with Pat Mahomes. So um I don't know if Mahomes falling flat in the regular season had anything to do with it just being the regular season. I don't know if it's like the whole time, if it had been postseason, they could have flipped some switch and gone to another level. I suppose that's possible, but I don't know. It's uh probably true that this Chiefs team is not as good as the other ones and while uh I do think Brock Purdy is entirely like a system player. I think he's for a lot of teams I think he would straight up be a backup, but um for this team with as you more hinted at the rest of the roster it's uh it's kind of f- Difficult to anticipate what part of that roster would fail Purdy or, you know, leave Purdy in a difficult spot. And, uh, yeah, um, I do still lean the Chiefs, though, uh, in part because I think the Chiefs pass defense is very good. I don't know how good their run defense is. This is definitely a moment of truth kind of point for them as far as that goes, because the 49ers are prepared to give McCaffrey as many touches as it takes. You know, it's like
1: Probably more than six. More than six carries, you think?
2: Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it, unless the game gets away from the 49ers, McCaffrey's probably closer to 30. Uh, I think Shanahan knows that however much he likes Purdy and, and you know uh, values him as a starting quarterback, he knows he needs to hide Purdy from a defense like this. So that's not to say that the 49ers can't throw the ball in this game. It's just that you always have to throw it within the you know construction of, of an Offense, uh, offensive structure, where the run game is the primary concern of the defense, and it's it's in that situation, this this situation where like the defense is primarily concerned with the run game, and the yards after the catch variable, the the separation variable for the route runners is insanely high, and uh, that's th- those are the circumstances that Purdy has generally played in, and certainly those are the circumstances where he's been most productive, so whether the chiefs can win might come down somewhat to like how much they can. uh, I don't think they can stop McCaffrey. I don't don't even know if they can really slow him honestly, but they're going to need to make Purdy turn over the ball. And I think they're going to need to make him turn the ball over without him throwing it 35 plus times. I think Purdy's going to throw this like 20 or 28 times, something in between there. And the chiefs either have to find a way to keep McCaffrey contained or, or like, Except that they can't contain McCaffrey and create a couple timely turnovers. You know, at which point, <clears throat> Mahomes usually tends to convert into a uh, you know a, a, an advantage in the game. So, yeah, it's it's not like I have any idea what's going to happen, but it's it's difficult for me to pick against Mahomes, especially when he has a defense that's legitimately strong against the pass. And as much as the Chiefs have been kind of dubious against the run, I still wonder if they might be capable of more if they wanted to stop the run more than they do like they're, they're content to sort of take shots in the passing game and and let you get a couple first downs on the ground uh to set that up because what they're banking on is like you do have to throw it eventually and when you do they're they're, they're sitting there on it and um it shanahan you know he knows all that He he's thinking about it i'm sure but Spagnuolo is battle-tested, especially in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, it, it seems to me like it's, it's of course, a dangerous game for both sides, but it, it's just, for me, difficult to, to pick against Mahomes in a, a setting like this, uh, given that, in my opinion, if, if the if the 49ers do need Purdy to carry them, then that's a loss. Yeah,
1: and I do think that um, the, the 49ers defense has shown uh, some semblance of vulnerability yeah, um, late on in the season. So um, while while you can point to the Ravens like shutting out uh, the Chiefs in the second half last week, I think it you know it's also important to note that the Chiefs were able to to you know march down the field and effectively do uh, whatever they wanted, especially uh, in the first half. And then when they absolutely had to make a play uh, to to seal the game late in the fourth quarter, you know Mahomes uh, made that happen. So I, I don't think that we're going to see the, the Chiefs get held uh, to 17 points again. And therefore, right. you know, the, the passing game is going to have to be a, a bigger factor uh, for the 49ers. And the, and like you said, you know, that that is uh, where it get, could get potentially dangerous. Um, if I'm like kind of thinking out. Possibilities for, for betting on this one, as far as Super Bowl MVP goes, if I want to bet on a 49er, um, you know, it, it would have to be under the, the expectation that they're going to win, because I think the only guy to win MVP on the losing side it was on the Cowboys back in 1970. Um, but uh, right, um, but regardless, uh, McCaffrey is about five to one at most places, whereas Purdy is plus 225, and Mahomes the, the odds on favorite right now at, at plus 125. So uh, just a, a little bit of profit potential there if you, if you do think that the Chiefs are going to win, but if the Chiefs win, it's, it's almost certainly. Uh, going to be Mahomes winning MVP short of uh, Kelsey having a couple of touchdowns that that I mean someone like
2: Sneed or even McDuffie I don't know like uh, if if there's a turnover if Purdy if Purdy has a three interception game uh, any of the guys who intercept a pass especially if it's like at a point in the game where it's it's memorable like a tide turning kind of moment like that they've given out awards on the basis of plays like that and stuff but yeah if you're you're talking kind of a the, the actual reason why the Chiefs would win, it would be Mahomes. And with the 49ers, it would be McCaffrey. Although, if I were betting on the 49ers side, it, I would vote money on Purdy because um, if the 49ers win, there there's going to be so much like political pressure to give him the award, if only because of just how much it just headlines and, and counter headlines it'll generate. Because it's also, um, no one wants to give it to a running... Even, even Mahomes shouldn't have won that one MVP. It should have been Damian Williams. So it's in this political climate, there's always going to be pressure to act like running backs are useless and that uh, no matter how much they're just clearly playing T-ball, you have to be like, oh, my God, this quarterback, what a what a hero he was. You know, his 24 pass attempts. What a what a what a beast. Um, uh, (laughs) Mahomes can carry a team, you know, 40 pass whatever the pass attempt number he needs, he can get there. Purdy can't go over 30 in a game like this without screwing up everything. And, uh, even if he, th- even if he only throws like 21 passes for 220 yards, they're going to try to find a way to swing it for him. If the 49ers win,
1: that's a good point. Um, yeah, we we've seen some, you know, not, not undeserving, but you know, maybe, maybe if you were just straight up looking at the game, you, you wouldn't say that, that this guy was, you know, like Matthew Stafford a couple years ago, played a good game. Of course. Like, it's not like he was, it was a joke that he got the MVP, but you know, you could, you could have made a pretty good case for Cooper cup, you know, that, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, to your point on on the defensive side, that reminds me, it was the the Buccaneers Super Bowl year in 2002, right, where it uh, was it, Dexter Jackson and uh, Dwight Smith.
2: Uh, Probably Dexter with, Jackson won it because he had like three INTs or something.
1: He had two, but I think that there was another guy who had another pick six late. So he had two pick sixes, uh, but the oh. voting was already in.
2: Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, That's uh, that's quite a list of guys that we (laughs) could go on remembering there. Um, Yeah. uh, Anyway, I I don't remember that one, but it's uh, it's safe to say, like the Dexter Jackson example, much like Larry Brown in 1995 with the Cowboys. It's like even if everybody knows that the player isn't very good on defense, if they make a couple of lucky plays that are, are specifically at a moment where everyone was watching and everyone was, you know, every, every, there was like a high, there was a lot riding on the play in question. If it turns out some, some guy, whatever, uh, Tayshaun Gibson or, or, uh, like Drew Tranquil, whatever. It's like, if, if they make an interception where everybody's watching and they're, they, everybody's watching thinking like, Oh my God, there's so much riding on this play and a play like that happens. It's understandably difficult for people to get it out of their minds afterward.
1: No, a- absolutely. And yeah, 80% of the vote I think goes uh from the media, and then like there's a 20% uh fan vote uh influence on there as well. Um, any sort of takeaways from the losers uh last weekend? I, I thought that you know that there's been a lot of discussion this week and I think it's a pretty fair summation on on, on both Baltimore and-, and Detroit, where Detroit went down doing what it did. You know, it was always aggressive this year. It's always been an aggressive team under Dan Campbell and, you know, it ended up backfiring, but you know, that no one expected them to be routing the the Niners in in the first half either. Um, It just, you know, eventually kind of woke back up. Whereas the Ravens got away from the things that made them good.
2: I think they both got away from it personally, because you'll notice that the lions got out to that improbable lead while what running the ball and They got away from running the ball and they lost in two seconds. So uh, a lot of people make it sound like, oh, it's more nuanced than that. It's you just don't understand probabilities and math. Like, man, you want to talk about probabilities and making first downs on fourth down conversions. You have to ask yourself the basic question, like, can we get this yardage and how are we going to get it? What you might also ask, and I don't think the Lions ask this of themselves. What does the defense want us to do? Because I can guarantee you the 49ers are saying like, God, I hope they throw it with Goff. I hope they go four wide. I hope they go shotgun. And I hope they throw it with Goff. I hope there's no play action. I hope there's nothing like that. I hope he just drops back and has to throw it. And granted, Goff got the ball to Reynolds, but that was lucky at all. It was lucky that the ball got to Reynolds in a position where Reynolds could catch it. The 49ers had no answer for the run game. And if you're going to go for it and fourth down for three or less yards in in a situation where you're running like the Lions were, the 49ers would prefer that you throw it and then the lions chose to throw it so i don't know it's it's um it's not like the lions coaches did anything overall wrong in that game it was obviously an accomplishment to get them as close uh, it was an accomplishment to get that lead that they did at all but yeah it was it was for it was so easily foreseeable it was like you know what they're going to go away from the run game and the 49ers are going to get lucky somehow, the way Brock Purdy always does, because he's the luckiest quarterback that has ever played in the NFL. And that is not a hyperbole. That's a pretty clear fact at this point. No one has ever been half as lucky as Brock Purdy. That guy can throw it to anywhere on the field, and somehow it just ends up in the 49ers. And then, you know, not only does it end up on his team, it's it, that guy goes and runs for God knows however many yards after the catch. So, whatever. You, you as the Lions in that case, have to remember, like, God is not on your side. He is on Brock Purdy's or maybe Satan rules the world now and he's on Purdy's side. You have to understand that it's one of those two things and you can't start getting cute and they did. So, um and also the, the first field goal it was like uh, w- w- what or, sorry, the first uh, fourth down they were like at the like a 8-yard line or something. You got to take the points. I don't know. It, it, the, the the longer Badgley kick is a bigger question mark because Badgley's not very good, but Badgley can make right. a 25 yarder and they could have used three points and they got none. So um, that was brutal. And of course, yes, the the Ravens case was much more egregious yet. I mean, uh, Munkin did a better job this year than Greg Roman by quite a bit. He still choked in that game and he yep. basically buried the Ravens from the first second with his decision to run the offense the way that he did that game. And it's, it's, so, it's so painful and cringe when a coach does something so, so um, such an aggressive version of abandoning the run, you know, one carry in the first half for Gus Edwards. And it's almost like in, in this case, God or Satan was trying to say to the, to the Ravens, like, hey, maybe you should give the ball to Gus Edwards again. Fifteen yards, the one carry you, you're struggling to move the ball, are you? you? You get 15 yards the one time you give this guy the ball the first time. And, and, and then you, then you go the rest of the game wondering like what went wrong? Why, why did, why, why can't we um seem to, to move the ball consistently and 15 yards was right there. It was easy. And then the second half, the, the next time they give Gus Edwards the ball, it was when the 49ers, uh, sorry, it was, it was when the uh, uh, chiefs were, were clearly, which was in contrast to the first half, they were clearly selling out against the run in that play. Like, whereas the first half the the ravens were just throwing against light fronts all day just throwing against light fronts, throwing 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 no matter how light the fronts were the second time they decide to run it with gus edwards they wait until there's nine in the box monkin blew it it's it's infuriating yep. um he he's better than roman but still probably just average roman's just you know an incredibly bad coach
1: yeah i mean i was there um the know, yeah, the, the way that the defense played on on the Ravens side in the in the early going was was frustrating. But again, like you knew that you weren't gonna shut out the Chiefs, right? So Well
2: the like Kelsey of... touchdown, he was right there, you know. There Kelsey wasn't open. It was just Mahomes having a rail gun, you know, arm, being able to put it wherever he wants. So uh yeah, that that again, like they should have known though when that happened, it was like you have to understand that, uh, luck is not on your side in this one. You need, you need to be practical.
1: Yeah. And they were far from it. Um, you know, the the Ravens were probably the best running team in in the league this year, despite, you know, personnel outside of Lamar Jackson, that's average, you know, no, no real star power. Like we're Gus Edwards guys, but like, we're we're not going to tell anyone that he's like a top 10 running back or anything, but use him. I mean, he, he, that's an unpleasant man to tackle it. You need at the yards. 30 some odd gives pounds, you the yeah. yards. Take the yards. They're right there. Just take them. And they're yeah. like, no, we have to think harder than that. No, you don't. You need to take the yards. And, you know, what 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 galls me a little bit further is, um, you know, I had been pounding the drum about and just be, being someone who's pragmatic, who's practical, who, who plays to the strengths of, of the personnel uh, at his disposal. And just none of that happened on, and you know i think the ravens over the course of the lamar era they they seem to especially you know the 2019 game when they were the one seed and lamar won mvp and then uh you know that this year as well like i i thought the first half uh against the texans was a disaster um it, it yeah. may, may not have looked like that on the scoreboard but they play really tight and i i don't know if that's like a harbaugh problem or a lamar problem or what but Bottom line is, you know, that like we have a large enough sample now where it doesn't feel like they they're really playing their best when they absolutely need to, and that's the difference between them and, the, and like the Chiefs.
2: Yeah, although in the Chiefs' case, uh, it's just Mahomes. You know, like it's it's just it's not as if Andy Reid has any great. I know he's been kind of rebranded as like this this offensive genius. He's not. Uh, he's a really good quarterbacks coach. He's a he's a totally decent offensive coach overall. But the Chiefs won that game. Uh, aside from the fact of of Munkin refusing to take easy yardage on the ground in that game, the reason the Ravens lost is just because Mahomes is a top three quarterback all time. And when you're going against a player like him, you don't really have a margin of error, and you can't make stupid, unforced mistakes like not giving. The ball to your best runner when the defense can't stop the run so um yeah it's 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 frustrating because this was like this was the ravens team that was best built to compete it was a combination them losing as a combination of like the buzz saw matchup of going against Mahomes and uh just munkin i think even though munkin was you know he blew it in that game i think he did a good job in general this year and i think he still is generally pragmatic but at the very least, this game was an example of him having poor judgment. Like I don't, I don't doubt that he was being pragmatic in his his thinking process of of like how do we beat the Chiefs? But he fixated on a false premise. You know, he fixated on an idea that like, oh, we have, in situations such as X, Y, or whatever, we have to throw the ball. And instead, he did exactly what the Chiefs wanted him to do. The Chiefs did not want Gus Edwards running for fifteen yards of carry, and Munkin helped them out by saying like fair enough i won't do it then so uh that's not something you can do against a quarterback like mahomes and uh, i do think lamar is still blameless i mean it's we're not even getting into like the zay flowers stuff you know as much as monk and blew it the ravens might have won if zay flowers just held onto the ball at the goal line there and um yeah so so lamar did a good job it it's just um it's a shame and it's irritating because lamar jackson critics are the worst people in the world like they're all they're, they're a scum and they 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 love this they they love it they get high on it when lamar jackson has his back stabbed by the rest of the team they get high on their eyes turn red and they're like oh god this is so cool i can't wait to go post about how he's a running back or whatever and it's like that it just really sucks that todd munkin threw those people you know a bone like that that's you have to you, this is something that I think every every uh, team needs to think about more is like you need to need to understand your enemy and really hate them you know and I, I don't think Munkin really i think I think he was i think he had his head is in the cl- head in the cloud and he didn't have like um he, he didn't have just like the killer instinct that you need he was he was looking at like a very sterile like mathematical equation or something and it wasn't just remembering like we have to break their teeth. We have to we have to, yeah. we have to we have to we have to crush their skulls running the ball and then make them resent ever making this trip in the first place. And instead, he, he made it like a game of
1: tag. Brutal. And, you know, like any idiot who pays attention, like could have seen where it's like, well, the Chiefs are really good against the pass and bad against the run. Yeah, hmm, that seems like a bad matchup against a Ravens team. It would team seem that, that it, way. It might seem yet, that way. They did, they but were, that's was, why you need the yeah. uh the galaxy
2: brain part of the equation which is like but what if we did everything stupid because they're not expecting it um that, you know almost so worked. That
1: good job the target was or the tunnel was painted on the side of the mountain and and todd ran right into it um after painting it there so, himself <laughs> yeah. yeah oh boy uh from the acme school of, of offensive coordinating we bring <laughs> we bring you todd munkin all right. I I that that's my pain threshold. Um I, I'm still smart and from from it of Sorry, course, man. but but you know, we we had to get it out there and and uh, frankly, uh misery is good content. So listener, uh you're welcome. Um before we <laughs> before we get on to uh some coaching matters, uh we got a message from our friends over at Circa. Get ready for the ultimate get big game parties at Circa Resort and Casino Super Sunday is in las vegas this year watch the big game poolside at stadium swims big game viewing party that's massive screen booming game sound and a view of the pyrotechnic and visual effects throughout the game snag the best seat in the sun with day beds poolside boxes cabanas and more or touchdown at the world's largest sports book circa sports for the big game bash three stories of football glory featuring a 78 million pixel screen Book your seat with a variety of reservation options, including bottle service, open bars, stadium-style food, and more. Don't miss these legendary viewing experiences on February 11th. That's next Sunday, folks, so get get on this. The big game parties only at Circa Resort and Casino. Reserve today at CircaLasVegas.com. Tackle. Oh, we also have a message from our friends at FanDuel, and the message starts with Tackle. Tackle millions in prizes, all playoffs long in FanDuel Fantasy contests, If you're new to Fantasy, there's no better time to get in on the action because right now new customers get a 100% deposit match up to $100. It's nice. I mean, you can't go higher than that in terms of percentage. Playing Fantasy for huge cash prizes on FanDuel is fun and exciting. Just draft your lineup and watch your team move up the leaderboard. Obviously, there's no game action this weekend, but you can already start kind of formulating your lineup builds for the showdown slate next Sunday. I'm already trying to craft out some ideas, some lineup builds. Uh, you know, it's going to be all kind of narrative-based because the showdown, you got you got to see it go one way and just kind of attack it in that direction. So excited to see what, what we kind of have lined up for our plays uh, when we catch back up next Thursday, Mario. Plus, FanDuel, you can choose from full slate contests featuring multiple games, single-game contests like the one on next Sunday, Season-long best ball contests, beginner-only contests, which are great for learning the ropes and more. When you win, you get paid instantly. So kick off football season with a 100% deposit match up to $100. Go to FanDuel.com to start playing for huge cash prizes.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay. All
1: right, Mario, let's, uh, let's button up the coaching carousel. Uh, I believe it has officially stopped spinning uh, as the last two vacancies have been filled over the last 16, 18 hours. Uh, Mike McDonald of Ravens fame and Michigan fame. Love to see what he does without, uh, working with a Harbaugh, but, uh, he is going out to Seattle and, uh, the, the commanders went ahead and hired Dan Quinn earlier in the day on Thursday. seems like there there's, I don't know, coaching stuff can, can be interesting in in that, um, you know, it, it really does. I've used this example a million times to describe a million different things but it does feel like the family guy bit where, where peter's in, in the uh in the office uh going for uh some sort of sweepstakes and it's like oh you can have this boat or you can have the mystery box and he's like oh the mystery box you could have a boat so people people get you know a, a little bit tired of, of retread so i i understand the the general malaise from washington people about hiring a, a retread like, like dan quinn and the mystery box on the other side, of course, being uh, McDonald, who um, is going to be the, I believe, the youngest uh, head coach uh, in the NFL. Forgive me if I said McDaniel, it's McDonald. Um, but uh, your thoughts on these ones, starting with McDonald out in Seattle.
2: I think McDonald is interesting. It's, it's tough, I think, to tell what exactly he is, especially as far as projecting head coach versus defensive coordinator at the very least i think it's safe to say that mcdonald's a really smart coach and uh as much as he's a defensive coach he seems to be very forward thinking like i don't know how mcdonald could come up with his particular defensive scheme for instance unless he also had a pretty advanced thought capacity on offensive scheming because it seems like so much of the Ravens' success is just kind of you know th- thinking through again not just like what is your uh, idea in the abstract of a good defense it's not just as simple as that it's like you have to you have to think about ways that you can thwart offenses you have to imagine you know the you have to, you have to picture the image of an offense failing and and imagine the fears of the offense you're going against and and try to um put their worst fears in motion right in front of them and uh McDonald I think has shown the ability to uh, thwart most, you know, uh, mo- most approaches of contemporary offenses. I, I, I think uh, he's pretty unique in the way that he does it, too. You, you can look at a lot of defensive coaches, for instance, Dan Quinn, and point toward a very straightforward like school of defensive teaching that they hail from. And in the case of Dan Quinn, it's just he he's a cover three merchant. He does what Pete Carroll taught him to do. And in the case of McDonald, it's like no one taught him to do this. He thought of it all on his own. And so to me, McDonald is is a lot more interesting, much more compelling head coaching higher than Dan Quinn, because Dan Quinn, he might be the boat. Uh, he he might be, you know, something of a, of, of a reliable return. I just think if we're going to hire Dan Quinn as a head coach, because of things that he's done as a defensive coordinator, Specifically in Dallas and Seattle, then we should look in both cases at like how replaceable he might have been. And in Seattle, it's obvious. Like I mean, Gus Bradley did the same things, so there's nothing interesting about having a good defense as a defensive coordinator on the Seahawks when you have the Legion of Boom. Like it's just, it's just not impressive. And then in the Dallas case, like well, he has probably the most talented front seven in the league. Certainly as far as pass rushing capacity goes, and Micah Parsons could be regarded as you know the best defender in the league of of uh you know a 10-year span that he plays in so if quinn is successful in dallas and seattle but not atlanta as a defensive coach then it seems to me like he is just a coach who gets like whatever the talent of his team has to offer and i guess there's something to be said for that I, there there are certainly some coaches who who cause uh you know who who you only get 75 cents of production for every dollar of talent you have and Quinn might be better than that, but he's also not going to get you to overachieve. And McDonald, I think, has shown the potential to not only put together some really memorable defenses, but I don't know. I think, uh, I think McDonald, in a lot of ways, might be what people wanted Brandon Staley to be. In in so far as like he's he's a defensive coach, but with with like a more a more full understanding of of you know how how the how the overall how the, how the whole world of the game occurs. You know, it's like some some guys specialize in their very specific areas. And McDonald, I really think, uh, much like people assumed with Staley being a former quarterback, you know, they, they thought like, oh, well, that lends to a a more complete insight around the game. And that's generally true. But McDonald, I think, has shown more of a grasp of that. And even, even if he doesn't have, like, the quarterback background, he still has shown that he is more uh, this this kind of, like, forward-thinking, constantly adjusting Pragmatic defensive coach who has insight on the offensive side of the ball too, and uh, yeah, so I, I like the hiring
1: for Seattle quite a bit. You know, uh, you know where McDonald went to college? Uh, Georgia. He did, and then he was a he was a GA. Uh, I Ooh. guess for Mark for Mark Richt. Everybody,
2: <laughs> everybody acts all impressed with Georgia. <laughs> It's it's a cool place to go to school. It's it's uh, got they got quite a list of accomplishments. It's true, and McDonald does really seem like he could be kind of like, I mean, sure as hell looks more impressive than Munken as far as recent Georgia
1: guys go, coordinator wise. I, I will say that, and uh, wow, he was a linebackers coach at Cedar Shoals High School in Georgia. I knew some people that that went to Cedar Shoals. I'm gonna have to ask if, if they actually knew that uh, this guy. I think one or two of them. John both. didn't.
2: It wasn't there some story about mcdonald almost like retired as a coach because he couldn't um like he, he had to go some some like tougher route than than most of them like he he didn't have any um he didn't have any guy just bringing him in and he had he had to like barely latch on last second
1: with the ravens or something like that um so yes he he was a coaching intern in, in 2014 I'm, I'm looking of course at his infallible. Uh, wikipedia page but yeah basically he he was coaching at a li- local high school in Athens and then w- was able to to join on it as a as a grad assistant and then just kind of gradually uh moved up the the chain in in Baltimore as a defensive assistant then defensive backs coach and then goes over to Michigan uh really kind of takes over that defense turns that Michigan defense into something serious and then goes back to to Baltimore as a defensive coach and i, I think You know, your your summation of McDonald is is interesting, and I I think, I don't know, I want to drive another point at you where the defensive equivalent of running backs don't matter is linebackers don't matter. Off-ball linebackers don't matter, and McDonald got, you know, obviously- And defensive tackles. Oh, yeah, those guys,
2: because Justin Madubike as as one of one of the greatest anti running back uh, the run, the founder of, of a lot of the scholarship of running backs don't matter uh famously declared Madicbuke a bad draft pick because he's just a run stopper so uh mm-hmm.
1: yeah uh, pretty one to one kind of correlation there Let's see right but um you know he he got so much out of the linebacking core and I, and you know Roquan is going to do what Roquan does but um I felt like the first 2 years of his career and and I felt like to be fair he was young coming into the league but Patrick Queen looked like a guy that was not a bust necessarily but certainly not not someone that that was going to be uh, he was all treading of sudden water at best yeah See exactly and then the last 2 years under McDonald he's been amazing I don't think the Ravens are going to re-sign him going to be very interested to see if if uh, he follows uh, McDonald out there. I don't know what their cap situation looks like and what they've already uh, kind of uh, spent money-wise on, on their linebacker room, but like him and Jordan Brooks could be pretty nasty, just thinking out loud. Yeah, I, I guess
2: Seattle, too, has Leonard Williams, which is, uh, you know, that that's significant because they didn't really have, the Seahawks didn't really have a defensive tackle presence like Leonard Williams even. I feel like that's true to say, even in as far as their peak went, it was like Jaron Reed was one of the highlights, you know, mm-hmm. or something like that. So uh, Leonard Williams is not the same defensive tackle sort as um, cer- certainly not Michael Pierce. Like I, I think Leonard Williams can kind of play two gap stuff, but he's more so going to be the analog to Madibuke and could could be a bit of a menace there. And if, if they can get a, a real two gap guy, maybe maybe they already have one. I'm not that familiar with the uh, the Seahawks defensive tackle personnel but um, if they can get their Michael Pierce, then Leonard Williams can be their Justin Matabuike. And uh, if you have a defensive tackle, a cumulative defensive tackle presence like those two, then you do tend to keep your linebackers
1: a little bit cleaner. Yeah, you absolutely do. And when when you have great linebackers like that, that are freed up, you know, that then, uh, you know, things start looking pretty good. Um, so in Bobby Wagner, about probably close to aging out. So, um uh, yeah he's an eye on yeah I think, think so um let's see a- any other coaching commentary su- level of surprise that, that Belichick and, and Vrabel have, have made it through this cycle unhired
2: well yeah um you can believe that guys like Belichick, Vrabel, whatever are, are sort of um insufficient or whatever but this is pretty objectively a case I think where we have a distribution of head coaching personnel you know that that just doesn't really make any sense for the various teams um namely the teams that have coaches like dan quinn and coaches like i don't know like i know he did an okay job last year but like gannon in arizona like you really want to tell me that vrabel and belichick are, are less than him and it's, it's just, there's a bunch of coaches in the league who shouldn't be coaches. And it's, it's really annoying to me that even though he got fired in the season, it's like guys like Frank Reich and Dan Quinn are always getting hired and guys like a Aviro never are. And like, what if you're Washington and you're going to, if you're going to sign a defensive coordinator, head coach, why not take Edgeru ever? Like he's, he's, he is a uh, more like the McDonald analog, right? Because like Dan Quinn just a system coach he he took pete carroll's machine he turned the keys on and he he let it run like it already did before he got there the same pretty much the same thing happens in dallas in so far as like he didn't build the talent he didn't he didn't build the reason they were strong on the defensive side of the ball edger evero in denver and carolina has taken defenses that were not good you you recall uh almost immediately after Ed. uh Edro Evero left the broncos they give up like 75 points to the dolphins uh the panthers were able to pretty much shut down the texans in carolina uh with 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 like nobody nobody at all uh, brian burns and then nobody jc horn's always out jeremy chin's not apparently a player derrick brown is a just the tackle 10 yards downfield merchant <laughs> this is a crap defense in Carolina, just as there was a crap defense in Denver before and after editor O got there. And Dan Quinn gets a, a head coaching job and Dan, uh, John Gannon has a head coaching job and it's, um, clearly it's frustrating. Mike McCarthy has a head coaching job. The NFL is not a meritocracy. Nothing in the world is, but, uh, the NFL is rampant with cronyism and like basically corruption. And, um, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a, a joke. It's a complete joke that guys like Belichick, Rabel, Evero are not head coaches while there's a whole assortment of just complete clowns who are. It's
1: it's ridiculous. Yeah, and they're not even the mystery boxes, you know, in a, in a lot of yeah, cases. It's, they... a,
2: it's the box that says this sucks. Open <laughs> this for something that sucks. And teams are like, yes, that
1: one. Give it. Sign us up. You know, you, you had me at, at open this crap box and and I'm in. Um, what does so...
2: Averro need to do? It's it's. This is a rhetorical question. I think at this point, the answer is there's nothing he can do, but there should be outrage around it. There there should be a lot more, by the way, as far as with respect to the Rooney rule goes, there should be a lot more outrage about Evero not having a job than Eric enemy ever not having a job. It's, mm-hmm. This is this is so way past the line of acceptable. It's just, it's offensive. It's disgusting. It sucks. I hate it.
1: Well, you know, like it. it was also... Uh, like so transparent like even like the the big national nfl reporters would would, uh report on like david shaw or someone getting yeah david shaw and then specifically say in the tweet thus satisfying the rooney rule so it's like okay we check that box all right now let's get to the series it's just like i hate the way they frame that it is i mean it was and like it's ugly
2: it's stupid also uh, not uh yeah the, the the first name that should have come to my mind brian callahan are you serious man the guy who did not even run the care uh the cincinnati offense the cincinnati offense that runs entirely on the basis of the talent of its personnel it's the guy who didn't even run that offense that the t- the titans fire rabel for that that amy Adams strunk lady is just uh she's a menace she's also she's a she's a weird f- freak uh, a fox hunter she's an avid fox hunter do you have any idea what has to be wrong with your brain to want to hunt foxes anyway that's who hired brian callahan that's the that's the person who fired vrabel with no input from anybody hired callahan and then said okay now ran carthon i will promote you to gm and uh when my head coaching hire burns out because he's a a nepo case who sucks i'm gonna fire you carthon i'm not gonna fire myself as the lady who
1: inherited the team i'm firing you. (laughs) <laughs> i hate this league uh, and, sometimes man. Uh, correct me if i'm wrong as far as like the that genre of, of coach an offensive coordinator who doesn't actually like do the play calling and all that like is that pretty similar to what nate hackett his uh hiring in denver was was akin to with with the floor pretty much running the I show guess offensively so
2: yeah i mean uh Obviously, I am not impressed with Callahan, but I, I guess I guess I could, I guess I have to admit there there are certain things that were clear about Hackett that I can't accuse Callahan of being. But yeah, it's uh, man, I can't even remember what the case was for. Was it that they were? Oh, they were trying to trade for Rogers. That was mm-hmm. their whole thing. Like they were, they were. Yeah, unless uh if, if Amy Adams Strunk has some great scheme to trade for Joe Burrow, and this is just step one of that, perhaps I will eat crow yet but uh yeah the the hackett hiring the the callahan hiring uh, up until that point is basically like hiring nate hackett without even having the stupid uh side scheme about just making the hiring in the first place to get a quarterback you never do
1: yeah and burrow he's an ohio guy like he's he's gonna be in cincinnati for for his career i would i would have to imagine something would have to go i mean you can't put it past cincinnati's organizational past to to screw it up Carson Palmer, but um,
2: it's hard to, when there are teams run by people like Amy Adams Strunk though, it's, it's like Mike Brown might've ruined a lot of years for the Cincinnati Bengals, but the, the league, the the cronyism was always there, but what's more recent, I think is like this, um, this more complicated tangle of political interests, like, especially related to analytics you know scare quotes very much scare quotes uh but this idea of analytics which is which people colloquially throw around as like a synonym for just good math or being very smart or something like that it leads them to premises like you gotta hire an offensive head coach a a coach from a team that throws for lots of yards even if he had nothing to do with it even if he's only in that position because he's uh the son of an NFL coach and college head coach who ran a college program where Zach Taylor was a quarterback and became friends with Callahan, whose dad uh, was around the program. Even those things you lead yourselves to when you, when you subscribe to sort of things that they do nowadays that they didn't in the nineties or whatever. Um, Yeah, it's, it's a total mess. And uh, the I I I really do feel bad for Titans fans because what they've gone through from beginning with the AJ Brown trade d- to this and then for it to not get any better like they, they got years to go you're in hell yes you're not getting out anytime soon and and especially not while that lady is at the at pushing any buttons like it's just a nightmare nightmare
1: uh yeah like you know I think it's probably unlikely that Derrick Henry's back you know the the, jury's no, he's going still to the out Chargers and... That'd be, be kind of tight. Um, yeah. you know, you you've got the the jury still out on Will Levis. uh the oh, defense... Harbaugh's
2: probably a good hiring. I guess we can say that at least. Like, yeah. I, I saw a lot. I saw some of the um the running backs don't matter dorks getting mad about that one. I was like, yeah, great timing, guys. Right off of Brandon Staley, your golden boy, blowing it all. You're you're gonna at this particular moment air all your grievances against Jim Harbaugh, who has success, by the way. Like, oh, but he runs though. Yeah. You don't want to win, is what I'm hearing. You you would prefer to lose throwing the ball than win running it, and and you you, you ridicule the people who don't subscribe to your beliefs. That's that's smart. And again, it's also smart to time it right now. It's not even have the sense to lay and wait and and wait till a more um, advantageous moment to air it out. It was just like right after Brandon Staley was just like an all timer dork failure. Like yeah, let's let's start talking about how the how Jim Harbaugh is the one who doesn't know ball.
1: That's that's gonna age well. It's just winning a title at Michigan, 3 years in a row of making the college football playoff, kind of reinventing himself along the way after the the nadir of the 2020 season. I, mean, I I've always been a big Jim Harbaugh fan. I, I think that guy's he's a lunatic, but in, insane, in an endearing way. He's insane,
2: but he knows how to
1: run a team and it's you'd have to be an idiot to question it by now. He he's powered by whole milk. And he's also rightly changed his opinion on eating chicken. So I mean, like they're, it, they're, I'm sorry, what the what is his chicken opinion? Uh, he doesn't eat chicken because it's a nervous bird. But but uh, uh, the, beta bird. only See, eats eagles and hawks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have your eagle egg. Give me the eagle powers. Give me the nutrients. Well, nacho libre. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to
2: inherit the the coward soul of a chicken by eating it. That's that's just uh,
1: it's embarrassing when you do that. But he has since changed his tune. I, I guess they, they got chickens at the Harbaugh house uh, up in Ann Arbor. And enough eat... chickens for Jim? To, to yeah. Stand up. He's like, look at them. They're productive. They go to work every day. They lay the eggs. You know, I, I respect that. That's <laughs> basically the gist of what he was getting into. I love Harbaugh lore, so I'm gonna gonna stop myself before I like fill the entire rest of the podcast. There's a lot to it. it. Oh God, yes. Um, all right, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, it is senior bowl week and uh you and i are both uh kind of getting into the the draft waters now at, at, as it goes um, but i wanted to to kind of focus on the the senior bowl specifically because it is this week um the combine happens at the end of this month i think it, it'll get started four weeks uh from today um so obviously a ton more to unpack over, over the next few weeks and and few months So, trust me there will be plenty of of draft coverage but um in terms of there being a game this weekend and involving these players and obviously a lot of practices with a lot of eyes on these guys um i I wanted to kind of get your thoughts here um so how much have you looked at the uh running back or receiver rooms for for the uh, senior bowl uh rosters i haven't looked specifically at the senior
2: bowl rosters i'm uh I I kind of am just going to skip the senior bowl. I think this year and just go into the broader, uh, you know, breakdown of the class, like uh, underclassmen included. So I do have some catching up to do about these guys, but part of the, part of the reason why I'm behind in the first place is that some of these guys, especially at running back, I just kind of cross off right away. Like this is just not a very impressive group. And the senior bowl group, it's like, I don't even know who, who, um, granted a couple of these guys, I, I legitimately just do not know who they are and need to familiarize myself yet. Like Marshawn Lloyd, like, I
1: don't know. Who oh, that I guy can is. tell you about Marshawn Lloyd. Oh, what's, what's his deal? Well, Marshawn Lloyd graduate of DeMatha high school in <laughs> Prince George's County, Maryland. Um, he went to both USC's. So he started his career at South Carolina, I believe tore his ACL before his freshman season I want to say um then comes comes back but you kind of works his way back but ends up being a you know good player for the Gamecocks and then transfers over to the other USC um with with Cliff Kingsbury this past season and you know he was impressive and I you know his his measurables at at the senior bowl are intriguing at the the very least you know um he's 5'9 then 217 um, that's so, like a travis so, yeah. henry frame or something see and love travis henry so uh, more tiny hands like though,
2: john I, just, I gotta look up his fumble count to see if there's anything there. yeah he looks like he's a bit of a fumbler which would kind of make sense because he's got the smallest hands i've ever seen um
0: <laughs> yeah sorry, not not on earth quarters.
2: yeah not on earth uh, i'm sure my hands are smaller but eight and yeah three-fourths is is about as small as you'll see uh and an nfl running back so uh yeah, he's, he's got a lot of fumbles, and that's that's probably going to be an issue, especially in the context of his injuries. But, uh, yeah, it's like Michael Wiley is one of the, uh, like, prized running back uh, players in this group. It's like the, he might be a third down back in the NFL, like his dad was, but uh, he's not going to be more than that. And Michael Wiley, Ohio State, was probably better than Michael Wiley, Arizona. So, yeah, these, these guys just uh, – it's a weak looking group. It's uh, t- for me, the the interesting running backs in this class are more like, uh, I guess just the guys that aren't in this game, uh, namely, you know, Blake Corum and I guess uh, Bucky Irving.
1: I, I'll throw one more at you fr- from uh, the senior bowl. Unfortunately, it, it looks like a, I saw Tom Palacero uh, reported this morning that Ali uh fr- from Marshall tore his bicep so that's Whoa, a good crap. 4 to 6 months and and sucks. i think he he needed to have a good pre-draft process to like really kind of stamp um his, his draft yeah. stock so yeah
2: that really yeah. sucks
1: um but he was he's, he's an incredibly productive um back for for Marshall. had had like kind of a weird career arc he was amazing in 2021 at barely played um for kind of undisclosed reasons in in 22 but came back pretty strong uh this past year and then uh, my, my favorite, I think, from this group is probably Ray Davis, formerly known as Ramon Davis. Um,
2: him and uh, him and Kamani Vidal are also extremely dense. I can't remember the last time there were these many uh, this many uh, running backs under five foot 10 who are pushing 220. And there's three mm-hmm. of them in this
1: game. Yeah. Ray Davis among them. So he started his career at Temple, actually. Um, and then Oh, that guy? hmm. OK. And then, Interesting. And then he he uh, he went to Vandy. And then he leveled up uh, still within his own division uh, and ended this past year at at Kentucky. And he ran really well. And, you know, those
2: pass catching numbers are
1: interesting. Right. Right. So, you know, he he was very efficient with that. Caught 33 out of 40 targets this past year, 8.1 yards per target and seven receiving touchdowns on those 33 catches.
2: Yeah, that's basically dominating as a pass catcher, and you might even have been able to catch a glimpse of it in the prior year with Vanderbilt. I assume their pass, uh, I assume their passing game is rather poor, um, but correct. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm concerned with Davis that he's probably not going to test very well. That he might be a four-seven guy or something like that, which seems to be a recurring theme also in this class. Like at the this is not Senior Bowl, I know, but uh, the Notre Dame running back, esteem or whatever, is like the production really jumped off the page for me, and the the build certainly, and I even like you know the way he plays quite a bit. But it looks like he might run a four seven five or something like that. He looks pretty slow, and uh, it's it, there's a pretty clear lack of speed in this class. Like there's there's guys who might, and Davis might be one of these guys. Uh, there's these guys who might be able to make it in the NFL particularly because they can pick up the blitz and catch passes and they in in davis's case it's also true like he's got a dense enough frame that you can probably put some work on him you know like he can if you if you are the kind of team the kind of gm that just wants to be able to put in a running back and not have to think about it anymore because they'll just pick up the blitz and be you know mid otherwise like it seems like there's a couple guys in this class and davis might be one of them but it, it would be It would be reassuring if they could test decently well, which in Davis's case would even like a four, six, five would be kind of enough. I'm just worried that some of these guys are going to run like four eights and stuff like that.
1: Would would that uh, put, you know, lazily uh, comparing the, the helmet, but could he have like a level of Chris Rodriguez interest to you?
2: Well, the difference for me is that Chris Rodriguez ran like hell at Kentucky, and Davis is not an explosive runner production wise, and he wasn't at those were bad offenses at Vanderbilt and Temple, so it's not necessarily his fault. But uh Chris Rodriguez was a guy pushing like six and a half yards a carry, you know. So yeah. and with workhorse volumes to boot. So uh I I uh man, you know what? if Chris Rodriguez was in this class, I think he'd be like a top three running back (laughs) in this class. That's how bad this one
1: is looking. It's, it's not great, but um, you know, there, there will be some usefulness. I assume somebody will. Yeah. yeah,
2: CJ Anderson was useful. It's like this, somebody in the right place right time can be useful it's just for for like dynasty football purposes it's really difficult to guess years you know or a year anyway in advance like who's gonna be the really lucky
1: one yeah honestly that that's kind of what it's gonna be like who who gets the shot and everything like that um and then Cody Schrader is like the last one but um he, his career arc is kind of fascinating started at a division two school that oh that's at- the Missouri one yeah, that I've never heard okay. of. He's 5'8", 207. Um, so, you know, one of the smaller, dense guys. But, you know, he was – I mean, Missouri's offense in general really kind of took off th- this past year. Um, so, you know, I think a rising tide li- lifts all ships. But, you know, even still, you know, 1,600 yards, 14 touchdowns, about six yards of carry in the SEC. That was a good. It was a very good year. I mean, at least he got himself onto the radar.
2: Yeah, definitely, and uh, I think he he's also in this category where he's not explosive, but certainly took on a lot of workload. And guys like him, for me, if they test well enough and they end up on a team that just values them, giving us reason to think they'll have opportunity. That's usually enough to um, sign off to to some you know actionable extent. Like I, I don't particularly think Schrader or any of these guys looks like they'll be. You know, Pro Bowl players or anything like that. But if they get the opportunity to get the ball, then they can be useful in fantasy, even if they're, you know, average or whatever other word you might use. So, uh, Schrader is one of those guys who, if he tests, uh, like if he, um let's see, so five nine two oh it? five was he's a five five eight two oh seven. Yeah. So if, if five eight two oh seven, if if he runs like a four five five or something like that, then uh, as much as that wouldn't make him an obviously standout prospect, it, it would be just enough, I think for you to sort of, uh, at the very least say like this guy can play 30 snaps in a game. If a team gives him the chance.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and he, 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 uh, he definitely checks off the the box of having that dog in him, uh, because yeah, it's not easy to, to do what, what he did. And I, I want to say he led the sec in rushing this year. Um,
2: Yeah. 7, 1,627 yards, 14 touchdowns at 5.9 yards per carry in 13 games. So uh, still not what I would call explosive per touch production, but that's, that's almost like that, uh, that like chase Brown kind of category of production where it's like, yes, it's volume driven, but when a guy takes on that much volume successfully, um, a that's, that's just impressive in itself. And b you can do the thing again. It's like a little bit like the analogy of baseball pitchers going into the bullpen or something. It's like maybe Schrader is a 5.9 yards per carry guy in college as a, as a 20 per carry, uh, sorry, 20 carry per game kind of running back. But if he had been only getting 10 carries per game, maybe he would have been able to run a little bit hotter, you know, get a couple more big plays. Um, Jalen Warren was another instance of that like he was he was a workhorse at Utah State and Oklahoma State and uh looked much less plotting when he got to the NFL even though he he you know didn't run very well or anything like that so th- there there is a precedent of guys like this showing up and, and and not not so far into their career i don't I don't mean like you know in a in a five year time like sometimes they pop up in their first or second year, um especially if obviously if the guy ahead gets hurt,
1: yeah, so. Bear, bear all those things uh in mind so so yeah i mean and we're not gonna vehemently di- disagree that that this is a a, uh, a lackluster running back class but it's not one that you can completely write off i, I think and they, teams have to really fill their depth charts so they it's do. like
2: even even if they don't like them either it's like they're good some of these
1: guys are going to be on teams yep and therefore we have pay attention so why not start now um looking at, at the receivers a little bit um, I know that you, you're a bit of a fan of one Jacob Cowing. Would you care to share with the class uh your takeaways? What, who is this guy to you?
2: Yeah, so he's he's not a lock or anything, he's definitely not a blue chip prospect. And if you're thinking of, of a worst case comp, I think someone like Penny Hart might come to mind. But uh in the case of both Hart and Cowing, you have a guy who is really really memorably productive including including as a true freshman uh both at lower levels of competition it was georgia state for penny Hart, and it was uh U- utep was that right uh, utsa i want to say U- okay um so cowing was at one of those you know nothing texas schools one way or another and uh oh, it, sorry it, it was utep help. um okay. so yes yeah, so true freshman year though uh cowing had he, he only played eight games but he had 75 targets in those eight games and uh, was, was super efficient you know easily led the team and receiving yardage and all that and it's just point blank the case that not many players draw usage like that um like you see there's probably there's a case like Tommy Schuler at Marshall or something like that, where they draw the same volume. But what those guys didn't draw is the same share of the offense. Like cowing was just kind of the man when he got there. And so uh, he cowing has, has always produced usage and efficiency that stand out just immediately. And uh, on the basis of just that, that detail, I think he is, his his prospect profile heavily indicates starting NFL receiver ability. Uh, it's not just that true freshman year where he had 691 yards in eight games. His true sophomore year, he had 1,354 yards in 13 games at 11.8 yards per target. So uh, monstrous efficiency for the kind of volume that we're talking, especially for the age at which he was playing. So with all that said, um, Cowing did show up. Uh, he had two more really great years with Arizona, but anyway, he got to the Senior Bowl a, a fair amount smaller than expected. Like he was listed at 175 on uh, the Arizona depth chart, but he showed up to the Senior Bowl and they they checked him in at five eight and a half, 165. So he's tiny, and I think as as much as this isn't that exciting, um, his profile at this point is trending along probably like a josh downs kind of trajectory like josh downs was also a really high volume super high efficiency pass catcher at uh, north carolina at the combine he was like whatever one so he's like one one was he 171 or something at five nine so he was he was also very small i suppose a person could look at downs's rookie year and see it as inconclusive to me it was a clear success but uh we're talking if only due to the frame, we're talking probably a slot receiver at the next level. I just think cowing, as long as he tests vaguely decently, his production at UTEP in Arizona, both say that like, he's probably a starting NFL receiver. And, um, at, from this point, uh, as far as his testing goes, what we're waiting to see is, that, does he have the speed to threaten vertically? Or is he going to have to be like an underneath slot receiver kind of guy? And, uh, I don't know whether I don't know which way that's headed. I would I would like to think he can run fast, but usually the small school guys, you know, UTEP, uh, they they usually struggle a little bit in the athletic testing. But I'd love to be I'd love to be wrong because if Cowing does test above average as an athlete, then to me he would be something like a top forty pick, but I guess at five eight, five nine, one sixty-five, he's he's more so trying to tread water
1: at like the turn of the whatever, third and fourth round. So I th- I think a lot of people will see those measurements and if they are feeling optimistic about Cowing or, or so heartened by by this player that I'm about to mention's rookie season then you know it's like oh well th- this is a slam dunk that he's just going to do that but what do you make of the Nathaniel Dell cops or Tank Dell cops
2: Oh, I mean as, as far as trying to identify a favorable comparison goes that would be the best case, uh, you know, or, or him or Downs, whichever. I, I am personally not convinced Dell is better than Downs, but um, Dell is a bit more extreme of a case for the reasons of he started out at Florida A and and then played at Houston, which you know Josh Downs, even though he was a small, you know, tiny, not necessarily fast receiver, he was still a pretty high recruit. Uh, he's like Dre Bly's cousin or whatever, so. um, Cowing and Dell are more similar to each other than they are to Downs, in so far as like they both started at about as low as it gets. Like UTEP, man. You, aside from like Aaron Jones and Jacob Cowing, UTEP has just been in hell for you know, ever, and uh, there's 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 pretty much just bleakness to be seen there. So uh, going from there to Arizona, it's 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 a pretty decent analog for Dell going from A and M to uh, Florida A and M to houston and uh also the the comparison lands insofar as they both have unfavorable height weight testing and and maybe speed too because dell ran out of like a 449 at one yeah, nothing
1: special right
2: yeah so uh it's it's not good for cowing if he runs a 449 at 165 nor was it good for dell that he did but dell has proven to be an anomaly to, to to whatever concerns normally come with that height weight speed um combination and again sometimes the production lends you an insight especially toward functional athleticism that might not show up in athletic testing specifically and by that by functional athleticism i mean the difference between you know running in a straight line which is the 40-yard dash and running something more like catching a bubble screen and having to jump over a tackler and anchor your feet and cut and change directions and accelerate. Like there's no test for that at the combine, but it's a situation that happens plenty enough. And with numbers like cowings, much like Dell's production at Houston and even Florida A&M, you had reason to look at the numbers like those, those are uncommonly big volume, big efficiency numbers and theorize you know maybe suspect like maybe he's athletically dynamic in some way that simply doesn't show up in nfl combine testing specifically and if he didn't have this trait it's otherwise really difficult to explain his production so yeah we we, especially because cowing did it in two different places and especially the utep example there was nothing favorable about that like that's no one produces for utep it's even uh it was like, what was it? Uh, Jordan Leslie or something was their best receiver of the past like 25 years or something. It's something brutal like that. There's a poll. It, yeah. It's like no one goes to UTEP and does well except Jacob Cowing. So maybe there's something unique about him.
1: Love it. Lo- love the, uh, the, the breakdown on, on, on him. I, I didn't even know that, that Dell started at um Florida AM. I, I just kind of, in my mind's eye, I always thought he yeah, was. Yeah. He transferred he after one me. year.
2: And, um, yeah, he, he, he only played like four games. He had, he had something, he had something like 280 yards in four games and then transferred after getting hurt, I think.
1: Okay. Um, let's move on a couple other, um, senior bowl receivers to, to touch on, um, of, of this group. Um, who would you like to talk about? We got my guy, Ladd McConkey, Ricky Pearsall, they both good. and Johnny Wilson.
2: Johnny Wilson, I have to look at more, but I gotta say the, the quick glance at his dimensions kind of creeps me out. Uh, at the very least, he he doesn't really look like anybody else that we've seen. Uh,
1: I guess I I looked it up this morning, like that they're like, as far as receivers go in our combine database, no no one has his measurements basically. And then, um, that if you scaled it to tight end, which I think a lot of people are kind of expecting him to, to have to make that that change to. Akeem Butler. It, oh, oh boy. Uh, you know, like Colin Johnson or uh Cole Turner are basically like the other like physical <laughs> analogs.
2: Yeah, so um there's also uh what was it? There's that Colorado State receiver who he, he ran really slow. I guess at least Wilson isn't expected to run slowly, but being six six two thirty-five or whatever and his numbers are just kind of wonky looking to me. I I don't, yeah, I don't think he's anything I, I'd like to be wrong. And if, if Johnny Wilson runs and jumps really well, that would, that would put my, uh, initial, you know, take in a, in a more difficult spot, but these numbers just don't do it for me, you know? And, and he played two years at Arizona state, couldn't get on the field or do anything useful, even though there was nobody of note playing. There's like, it's, um, it's like he, he he was struggling to earn playing time over. What would it have been like Elijah Badger or something like that? Like it's just it, uh,
1: were, Arizona State, which is down so bad, had Dayton Daniels, Ricky Pearsall and Johnny Wilson all on the team. And still
2: those still first up. two, especially it's like, what are you guys doing? Um, but yeah, yeah t- Herm her t-
1: really uh, fumbled the bag as it were.
2: Seriously, uh, so yeah, I, Johnny Wilson does not look like an NFL receiver to me, but uh, Pearsall and McConkie both do. They, I, I don't, I don't have a good enough read on them, especially McConkie, to know whether they, whether they'll be more than like slot types, but they might be able to play outside. It, it just probably wouldn't be with much of like a downfield game. They they'd maybe maybe be more like. You know, Sean McVay outside receivers than they would be uh, Philadelphia outside receivers. Like so- sometimes to be an outside receiver in some offenses, you need to have real vertical and sideline ability. And I think you could say McConkie and Pearsall are both more like f- not finesses in like soft, but more about like precision or something. More more about like exploiting the space that they are given by the coverage and less. It, the AJ Brown thing is a sharp contrast because he just, he'll just bulldoze whatever's in front of him and just right. power downfield no matter what and these guys aren't that but it's uh it's fine like the, their production in both cases says that Pierce Saul, and McConkey uh I, I think they could probably both play outside as as long as they weren't expected to be like the the vertical threat but uh yeah that at the very least they, they should be able to draw targets rapidly at like the intermediate and underneath. And in a three wide league, th- there's clearly a number of teams that could use either of them.
1: Yeah. L- Lad to me has, you know, really sure hands. Um, I-, I think he's, actually like legitimately like pretty fast um like it wouldn't surprise me if he runs in in the four fours or or low four fours even
2: that'd be Um, really really good if he runs in the low four fours i could even see almost like a first round case for mcconkey
1: yeah i mean he you know he was he was righteous at georgia but i'm concerned with with um you know the his final season dealt with some back and some knee stuff so I, i hope that he i think by virtue of him um participating in practice this week and and doing well i think that's a pretty good sign uh that 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 stuff is behind him of course but he might be
2: a um, slot only guy i'm just noticing he has very short arms and small hands so generally like so for instance khalil shakir fell to the fifth round because he had really short arms even though he torched everybody at boise state and ran a four four three so that's kind of like the nightmare scenario mcconkey might be looking at but I would hope the league looked at the Shakir case and and realized like oh I guess I guess we should care a little bit more about how they actually play and less about just uh, h- how we're
1: vibing with their wingspan or whatever. Yeah, arm aesthetics. Um, but I'm I'm a believer in, in Ladd, and I think it's amazing yeah. that we're having this conversation because he he was almost like more meme than player when when uh, he committed to Georgia. It's like it's a pretty Ladin amazing what? like, yeah, yeah. So, um, grew up a Tennessee fan also. Mm. Sorry balls. Um, let's see. And you unpacked Pierce a little bit, definitely intrigued by it. He has some like crazy highlight catches from, from this past year Florida specifically that are, that yeah, he sort looks of make pretty you stop. Good. Yeah. So I, I think he apparently has been cooking this week. So, um, I'm interested to, to unpack that a little bit further, look into that a little bit further, John, can then, I ask you, yes. uh, what is what
2: is Brendan Rice's deal? I haven't had a chance to look at him yet. His dad's famous. Oh, that's that's okay. <laughs> um, uh, I I did not realize that was the association there. So, uh, is there is, is there hype with that? Then I don't. The, I'm late I mean, on the, he it, it's
1: it's hard to figure out basically any of the these USC receivers this year because that they, they spread the ball out. Um, so much like I, I don't know if anyone had more than like a fifteen percent target share. You know what I mean. So like there, yeah. there's no clear way to say like, oh, this guy dominated or or this guy didn't. You know, like you could even point to like Taj Washington on on um on SC from this past year. Um, and you you don't really know like who the best one of that group was. Dorian Singer was was supposed to be a big deal. He came over from Arizona you know didn't do a ton it it was you know made USC basically impossible for college football DFS but you know Brennan Rice definitely he exceeded my expectations this past year I do wonder a little bit because he never had more than four touchdowns uh, in his previous three seasons him elevating to 12 how much of that is is due to playing with Caleb Williams one and then two um, you know just being a bit older you know having that age advantage that that we talk about a lot in, in grading these prospects but I mean Eleven and a half yards per target. That's obviously uh, impressive. He he definitely has like the physical stature. Uh, he had a couple
2: think. big games as a sophomore against Oregon and uh, Arizona. So that's always good to see. Like even even if a guy doesn't get volume going as an underclassman, sometimes you'll see a game be it because of a starter missing that game or just whatever circumstance and. When they can answer like that, that, that was actually another thing Josh Downs did. Like he 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 did nothing his true freshman year except like the bowl game or whatever against AM and then he went off. And uh it's good to see yeah, Rice having games like that, even even when he was otherwise kind of um not prominent in the offense.
1: That game is also kind of what clued me in about Devin Achan on the other side. Oh, really? Because <laughs> um I, I think Trevion Williams was sitting out that game to to get ready for the draft and a just unleashes this, this H and kid. And, uh, you know, the rest is history, obviously. So that was a great orange ball, uh, I think on it. Um, but, you know, in, in Downs' case, like, you know, UNC had NFL ready receivers, you know, Deami Brown and uh, Daz Newsome, a uh, handful of other guys, I think. So it was, it, you know, it was going to be tougher. And then, you know, in Rice's case too, like Colorado was awful, uh, maybe not rock bottom, But you know, 2020 and 2021, you know, when he was there, um, you know, that it's not like he was working with with great, you know, uh, passing game or or scheming around him.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, So yeah, I gotta, I gotta at the very least look more at Rice. But uh, would you say the otherwise biggest names are are probably like Malachi Corley, uh, Luke McCaffrey, Jamari Thrash?
1: Yeah, Thrash is interesting. Um, I, I know that you've looked at him a, a little bit. Yeah. guy from Georgia State who, um, you know. Not related up. to James. I thought yeah, was we was lock. Did some digging there. Unfortunate. I guess his dad's just kind of a normal guy. Um, so, yeah, still waiting on the James Thrash lineage to continue. But uh, Jamari, uh, you know, he was amazing that this past year. And I know that, you know, with Louisville, you got to kind of view it through the same lens that you, that you would have, like the. Uh, the Purdue offenses from the last couple of years because Brom went to Louisville this past year. So he, you know, the the production can be a little bit juiced up, but at the same time, this is a guy that comes from Georgia State and then becomes one of the best receivers uh, in in the ACC for a Louisville team that was really impressive this year, made it all the way, I believe, to the ACC championship game. So, um, you know, that all good things. I am I think I'm kind of landing where you are, where the, the testing is going, going to come, kind of determine things. He's a little bit older, um, being a senior and everything. But, you know, the, the fact anytime, you know, similar to what you're saying about cowing, like a guy that can move up from the lower levels to a power five and not just produce, but like, you know, be the best on his team. I think that that, that usually tends to be a pretty significant mark in someone's favor.
2: Yeah, and uh Thrash is one of those guys who in terms of the age adjustment to the production, he's he's kind of right on the line of what not not like a red flag line, but more like the line between unambiguously good and whatever is immediately less than that. So, he uh Thrash, if he runs well, he he can take his profile very quickly from sort of a present question mark in my opinion to one where it's
1: it's relatively low concern i can see it i can see it and then uh the, the last one that i would mention from uh that this group i'm intrigued by roman wilson because he apparently has been having a really good week and the production's never really going to like wow you and that that's why I, tangentially i am oh he's the one that was running right past witherspoon so right. i'm i'm, I'm not gonna... ready to i'm not ready to write off JJ McCarthy as as like as much as that might make some people cringe because the Michigan offense is it's just hard to know about the pass catchers right because they were so run heavy like you know that anecdotally they ran it 30 times in the second half against Penn State didn't throw the ball once so you know it's it's a weird offense that that we're talking about but Roman Wilson was always a a dog like I think that he's definitely like one of the tougher uh, receivers in this class goes up and, and gets it. This year, 48 catches on 62 targets, 789 yards, and 12 touchdowns. because uh, he, look
2: he looked pr- uh, if I'm if that's the Michigan receiver I'm thinking of, they whoever it was was running right past Witherspoon against Illinois. And um yeah, a profile like this, if so Wilson, I would call his production ambiguous, but not negative. And uh yeah, if he's if he's like a, a, a track speed kind of guy, then he could make a surprising amount of noise in the draft order.
1: He only had one catch uh, against Illinois Witherspoons last year. So I'm not sure. Right. They didn't uh, whether have whether success throwing
2: right. the ball. It was like he was running past Witherspoon and the quarterback was, just. I guess it would have been McCarthy was just kind of not doing anything helpful or something.
1: Yeah, that was a, that was a bad game for Michigan. I think Coram got hurt in that game and that kind of changed okay. everything for, for them. Uh, yeah. i Still got it. Still got my fastball for for the college football <laughs> anecdotes, and <laughs> still remember that kind of stuff. But um, Wilson Wilson definitely like he, he. I don't think he has any one wow trait, but I, I could be wrong. If you, if you're right on on the speed element, but, I did um, not know either way. I was uh, I just
2: I, I didn't know if if um, if his if it was the guy that was losing Witherspoon. I assume speed is the main weakness of Witherspoon's. So uh, yeah, if Wilson can come out. And and run like a four four or better that would uh, I think take him from the 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 round like three four turn
1: fringe kind of range and and more solidly in day two maybe I'd like to see that I'm I'm a fan of his and then tight ends there, there doesn't seem to be a ton at present at the senior bowl um, I I have some like lingering uh optimism maybe for aj barner but maybe he's just a blocker but he did catch a lot of passes when he was at indiana before just kind of being a blocker um at at michigan and then jaheem bell just kind of an interesting athlete i think i think he's one of those guys that that could test extremely well but he's six six two two forty four. 244 he needs i don't know what what you do with him
2: yeah he needs to test really well did you get a chance to watch this uh the giant one from minnesota at all
1: (laughs) Uh, brevin span ford yeah not, I mean, not really. Other than just remarking, like, "Wow, that's a really big guy."
2: Sixty-one targets is a pretty big target count for someone that enormous. Uh, but if he's if he's running a five-one or something, it, it's a big. Who care?
1: Yeah, mi- Minnesota. These last couple of years have been. Uh, it's been pretty hard to watch. Like, it, you know, it, it's basically going to have to be something where I'm at out somewhere, and the Minnesota game is on for some reason. I. I've, very seldom, if any time, uh, you know, went ahead and, and uh, watched any Minnesota. Um, but I think that, that that marks a pretty good uh, stopping point for today. We'll, we'll get some reactions next week if anyone else stands out uh, fr- from the Senior Bowl. And then, of course, we're, we're going to do a big old deep dive uh, into the Super Bowl as well. So that's going to wrap it up for us here on the Road to Wire Fantasy Football podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors over at Circa and over at FanDuel for Mario Puig. I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Oh, and if you'd like to get behind our paywall, go ahead. Check out our free trial, redwire.com forward slash try.